0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you're using the black Bibles that are provided, that can be found on page 981. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here in the letter To the Philippians, he's writing from prison to a church that God started through his ministry. Paul is writing to warn the church of Judaizers who were falsely teaching that Jesus was not enough. They were teaching, yeah, that's great, believe in Jesus, but you also need to add to Jesus circumcision. You also need to add to Jesus keeping the law of Moses in order to be right with God. And so here in chapter 3 especially, we see Paul warn the church about these Judaizers, and then he shares his own testimony, how he, how he himself used to trust in works, in his zealous keeping of the law, in his Jewish heritage. He used to trust in those things for his standing before God. But God has graciously opened Paul's eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he understands that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And so that truth and beauty of, of Christ, that truth and beauty of the gospel, had transformed Paul. It had transformed Paul. It changed what Paul was trusting in. It completely, we're going to see in this passage, it completely reoriented his, his pursuits in his life. And so our text today is going to be verses 7 through 11 of Philippians chapter 3, but I would like to read verses 1 through 16 just to give us the surrounding context. So I would ask the congregation to stand once again, please, for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 3.1, let's hear the Word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. What pursuit in your life is most important to you? What pursuit in your life is most important to you? Evaluate what you are most passionate about. Think about what what do you spend the most time thinking about? What do you spend the most time longing for? And that will tell you what is your supreme pursuit. It will tell you what you treasure above all else. Today... I pray that God, through His Word, will convince you of this truth. Knowing Christ is the greatest treasure of my life. I pray that you'll be able to say that today. Knowing Christ is the greatest treasure of my life. Therefore, knowing Christ more and more is the most important pursuit of my life. That's the big idea of the, of the sermon today. By God's grace, the Apostle Paul became convinced of that truth. And I pray that that will happen for everyone listening today. That you will be able to say, along with Paul, knowing Christ is the greatest treasure of my life. That nothing is more important than that. Nothing is more satisfying than that. Nothing is more worthwhile than knowing Christ Jesus my Lord more and more and more. I pray that we'll all be able to say that this new year and every year that God gives me, knowing Christ more, enjoying Christ more, will be the most important pursuit of my life. That's what the Apostle Paul believed. And that's how Paul lived, by God's grace. And today, loved ones, God is calling us to learn from Paul. We need to follow Paul's example in this. And so we're going to consider verses 7 through 11 under two headings today. First, in verses 7 through 8, we see Paul's decision. Paul's decision. Beginning in verse 7, Paul shares the decision that he made in his life by God's grace. Look at verse 7 with me in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, what a phrase that is in verse 8. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I encourage you to underline that. I encourage you to meditate on that phrase this week. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That is quite a statement. He's saying nothing is worth more than knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. By God's grace, Paul realized that knowing Christ is the greatest treasure in his life. And here in verses 7 through 8... Paul uses accounting terms to describe the radical change that took place in his life. Paul used to place a high value on his Jewish pedigree, on his religious pursuits, which he details there in verses 5 and 6. He used to think that his Jewish heritage and his and his zealous pharisaical practices. He used to think that those would earn him a right standing with God. But then God's sovereign grace shone the truth and beauty of Christ into Paul's life. And Paul came to understand that all his religious efforts and, and all his Jewish background and heritage doesn't save. That salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That it's Christ's sacrifice alone that pays the penalty for our sins, that it's Christ's perfect righteousness alone credited to us that makes us right with God. God saved Paul. God made Paul a new creation, and a result of that transformation was that Paul made a dramatic change in his value system. Some of us today need a change in our value system. Paul says in verse 7 that all his works that he used to count as gain, that everything he used to put his confidence in to make him right with God, Paul now counted those things as loss. These are accounting terms. Paul used to view those things as, as a positive, as a credit, as something very valuable. But now he considered them a loss, a spiritual liability. Paul didn't simply view them as, as nothing, as kind of benign. No, he, he actually viewed them as something damaging because they were substitutes for trusting in Christ. They were hindrances to him of trusting in Christ. The things Paul used to view as benefiting him, he came to realize, were actually destroying him because they were blinding him to his need for Christ. Paul's view of his religious works and heritage changed from a positive to a negative. Meanwhile, the other big change is that Christ now became the greatest treasure of Paul's life. Who knows what he used to think of Christ? No doubt of Jesus, of Nazareth, right? He used to probably think he was an imposter, right? That everybody that followed him were were, uh, sinning. They were blasphemers. But now his view of Christ had completely changed by God's grace. And notice this was not just a one-time decision. That's important for us to get today. This wasn't just a one-time counting, a one-time reckoning of his value system. This was an ongoing decision. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. There... The verb counted is in the perfect tense, which means it was a past action that does have ongoing results, but it was something he did in the past. I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Okay? Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There in verse 8, the verb count is in the present tense. In other words, this is something he's continuing to do. This is ongoing. So Paul's decision in verse 7 was not just an, an emotional one-time decision that, that now you know, he kind of doesn't think about anymore. <laughs> no, Paul continues to regard all his past privileges and anything else which might uh, get in, in the way of trusting in Christ, anything else that, in which he might be tempted to, to pursue or to place some kind of fleshly confidence in. He continues to count those things as rubbish. They're revolting to him. Paul describes this ongoing decision in, verse, in the rest of verse 8. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul so treasures Christ that he views everything outside of Christ in which he might be tempted to place his trust as rubbish, literally as dung Christ is so precious to Paul that anything that would detract him from Christ is abhorrent to him. Right? I mean, how, how do we view dung if you step in it, if you come across it? Yuck! Get it away from me! Paul rejects all substitutes. They're worthless. They're repulsive to him that he may gain Christ. Do You see, Paul... By God's grace had experienced what Jesus taught in Matthew 13 verse 44. Paul had found that hidden treasure in the field. He had found that pearl of great value, Jesus Christ. And so Paul had given up everything in order to have Christ. Do you have Christ this morning? By God's grace have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Have you recognized Christ as a precious Savior, as the Savior? And have you recognized that He alone is the Lord of all? If you haven't, what's getting in the way of that? What's keeping you from treasuring Christ, from embracing Christ? Maybe it's, it's your pride. Maybe you think, you know, I'm not that bad a person. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm just as good as the next guy and I'm, I'm trying to do my best. Maybe it's just the pursuits of the world. That's what you love. And you love the, the sense of autonomy that I'm, I'm captain of my own soul here. Maybe that's keeping you. But I plead with you today, by God's grace, throw those things off. See them as repulsive. Throw them off that you may have Christ, that you may embrace Christ by faith, that you may treasure Christ. Gain Christ there, Paul said in verse 8, right? I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's another way of saying know Christ. Paul's talking about having a personal relationship with Christ. And again, we see the ongoing nature to this. Paul had come to know Christ when he was converted, right? So you could say on on one hand, he had already gained Christ on that Damascus road when God saved him. But now he wants to know Christ more. He wants to grow in his personal relationship with Christ. He wants to gain Christ perfectly, as it were. A goal that will ultimately be realized when Christ returns. And so Paul is continuing, like I said, to make this decision. He's continuing to count everything else as loss. Anything that would get in the way of Christ. They're loss. I'm getting rid of them. I'm focused on Christ, trusting in him, coming to know him more and more. So we've seen Paul's decision, and I trust you realize it's an ongoing daily decision to trust in Christ alone and to treasure him above all else. Now let's secondly consider Paul's desire. We see Paul's desire in verses 9 through 11. Really, this point is similar to point number one. (laughs) Uh, They're kind of two sides of the same coin, or we could say his desire flows out of that decision. Right? Paul's ongoing decision in verses 7 through 8 that nothing else compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that leads to Paul's desire to his lifelong pursuit to know Christ more and more. And that's what he's talking about in verses 9 through 11. Look at verse 9 with me. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now see, Paul is already united to Christ. But here we see he's looking forward to the day of Christ's return. On that day, Paul says he wants to be found in Christ. Again, think of what a dramatic change had happened in Paul's life. He used to think that on that judgment day when he's standing before God that he would, what would, he, uh, what would his claim be? He'd be like, well, well God, look at, look at how zealous I was as a Pharisee, right? And, and hey, I was of the tribe of Benjamin and blah, 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 right? Oh, but now God had opened his eyes to the truth that he can't earn his standing with God. Now Paul knows that his acceptance uh, with God, by God, is a gift of God's grace. And it's based completely on Christ alone, Christ's finished work. That he can't earn it. That on that final judgment day, Paul's hope of being right with God will not be, it will not be a righteousness that he has obtained himself by keeping the law, by checking the boxes, by doing whatever scale we think of. No. It will only be a righteousness from God through faith in Christ. So, verse 9, you can see, deals with our justification, right? And then verse 10 describes sanctification, that lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. Look at verse 10 with me. That I may know Him Paul says, right? Christ, of course. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So here in verse 10, Paul expands on what he said in verse 8, right? Remember in verse 8 he talked about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And now he says that I may know Him. Paul's ambition is to know Christ fully. Something that involved knowing the power note of Christ's resurrection and sharing his sufferings. What is that talking about, right? Well, when he says that I may share his sufferings, that's talking about the sufferings that comes to every Christian. The, the afflictions in which all Christians participate in because as a part of us following Christ in a fallen world. Right? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. If the world hates you, it's because it hated me, and now you're united to me. I'm in you by my spirit. You've identified yourself with me, so the world, this fallen world, will hate you. So there's sufferings that come to every Christian as a part of following Christ. But what Paul's saying is, as he suffers with Christ, as he literally fellowships with Christ in that suffering... He's experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That life-giving power manifests itself in Paul now. And that is a blessed truth that the New Testament teaches, loved ones. In Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, that was part of Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. That they would know The the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that's in them, that same power, he says, that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him far above all rule and power and authority, both in this age and the age to come. It's it's an amazing truth that because God indwells every believer by the Holy Spirit, that we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And now we have that power working in us. How? How? To follow Christ, to know Christ, to endure hardships, to put to death the sin that remains in us, to to cling to Christ. As Paul participates in Christ's sufferings, as he's strengthened to do so through the power of the resurrection, he is continually being conformed to the image of Christ, And, and here he says, He's being conformed to the death of Christ. So see, this is kind of fleshing out for us what it means to know Christ. Knowing Christ for the believer is in some way daily experiencing Christ's death and resurrection. When God saved us, Romans 6 talks about... a a death and resurrection took place right that's what we we talk about when someone's baptized that that's picturing what has already happened in them spiritually that their old self that was enslaved to sin has died and a new self has been raised and now as as we live as a christian there's a daily dying and rising with christ right as we again as we daily put to death our, our remaining sinful desires. Again, we're doing all this by the power of God, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. As we daily die to the pursuits of this fallen world, right? those pursuits that still tug at us, that, that still entice our, our remaining sin, but that we know lead nowhere good, that get in the way of, of, of seeking Christ and His kingdom, we daily die to those. We reject those. And say, I'm not going to store up treasures on earth. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. As we experience persecution because we follow Christ, all these things are a daily dying but rising with Christ. Yes, it's, it's not comfortable. It's painful to suffer. But there's an intimacy that comes with that because we see and feel and know the power of God at work in us. And it draws us ever closer to Christ. And again, he's our sympathetic high priest who knows exactly what we're going through, right? Because he's lived it to the max. And so he knows exactly how to pray for us. He knows exactly how to minister to us in that. And so Paul is saying as he participates in Christ's sufferings and as he's strengthened to do so, he's knowing Christ better. Amen, right. That's right. So during these present sufferings, Paul is being renewed daily into the, in, into the image of, of Christ. He's being conformed to the image of Christ. And that's an ongoing process that will be completed on the final day. And that's what verse 11 is then talking about. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Right? That's talking about the, the day of Christ's return, the, 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 our glorification, the resurrection of the body. And let me just clarify the verb there because I know it can be a little misleading perhaps. Attain, that doesn't mean earn. That verb is used 13 times in the New Testament only by Paul and then also in Acts by Luke. And it means to come to. It, sometimes it means... Uh, a literal movement toward a goal such as a place, right? But then other times it's used metaphorically and that's how Paul is using it here. It's talking about the attainment of an objective. Talking about just the process of coming to an objective. That's what the verb means and then when he says I may, that that doesn't mean any kind of doubt or uncertainty. That's an expression of expectation. He's just stressing that I haven't participated in this yet fully. This is where it's headed. This is my future. It's certain. It's going to come. God's going to get me there. But I'm not there yet. But he's saying, that's, that's where my sights are set. The resurrection of the body. Why? Because then I will be completely conformed to the image of Christ. Then I will get to know and enjoy Christ in a perfect, glorified body and soul. (laughs) No more sin causing my heart to, to wander and to be distracted from the beauty of Christ. I'll be able to enjoy Him and see Him with my physical eyes and reign with Him forever. So what I want us to see here in this desire in these verses 9 through 11, Paul's ultimate goals, right? He desires to know Christ fully. He desires to gain Christ completely. He desires to be found in Christ perfectly. Those final goals were before Paul every day. And I know there's more we could say about that, but I hope you see those cover the stages, if you will, of our salvation, Right, like I mentioned, verse 9 is our justification. When God first saves us at our conversion, that's what verse 9 was talking about, right? When God declares us righteous, not because of anything in us, but because we are united to Christ by faith, and now we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then verse 10 was our sanctification, that lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. And then verse 11 is our glorification. When we'll be raised from the dead and glorified bodies and hearts for the day of Christ's return. That's our salvation journey, if you will. (laughs) And here's the point I want us to see today about that. The purpose of our salvation is to know Christ. That's, That's the overlying theme in all of this that Paul is emphasizing. The purpose of our salvation is to know Christ. All along that journey, he's talking about, this is how I know Christ. This is how I become more like Christ. This is how I participate in fellowship with Christ. Please understand that trusting in Christ, becoming a Christian, is not meant to be like getting an insurance policy, right? Think what you do with an insurance policy. You know, once you're covered, you pay little attention to it in your daily life, right? Oh, I'm glad it's there, but I'm I'm not doing anything with it. No, that's not what becoming a Christian is like. Instead, what does the Bible say becoming a Christian is like? It's like getting married. It's like entering into a marriage. What a helpful picture that is for us, right? When you get married, you begin a lifelong journey of getting to know your spouse. Now, we don't do this faithfully because we're sinners and we're selfish. But that's what it's supposed to be, right? In marriage, you know something about the person before you get married to them, I hope, right? You're making a commitment to marry them, and then as you enter into that, you're, you have the privilege now of enjoying them and knowing them more and more as life goes on. And that is how it is supposed to be between us and Christ. At conversion, God opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ By God's grace, we believe that Christ lived and died and rose again in our place to save us. So we trust in Him as Savior and Lord. We're saved, praise God, united to Christ. And that begins now a lifelong journey of enjoying Christ and getting to know Him better. And that was Paul's desire. So we've seen Paul's decision, an ongoing decision. And Paul's desire, his lifelong pursuit, by God's grace, Paul made a life-changing, value-orienting decision in his life. And he kept making it by God's grace day by day. Paul realized that Jesus Christ is, is the supreme treasure. That having Christ and knowing Christ is the most valuable thing in life. And Paul desired then to know Christ more and more, right? I mean, it makes sense, right? If you, if you make that value choice, that this is the most precious thing, knowing Christ, then naturally that's going to be what you pursue. Paul desired to know Christ more and more, knowing that one day he would be like Christ and be with Christ forever. So what about you, Christian? Believers today, what about us? Have you made that same decision? Have you made that same value assessment? That knowing Christ is the most important thing in life? By God's grace, are you daily making that decision? Do you treasure Christ above all else in this world? Do you treasure that the eternal Son of God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Do you treasure Christ who was forsaken by his Father that you and I might be forgiven? Do you treasure the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you? Do you treasure Christ who now as your great high priest always lives to make intercession for you? Do you treasure Christ who gave you his Holy Spirit? Do you long to know Christ better and better? Do you long to know him who is the radiance of God's glory and him who is full of grace and truth? Do you desire to know him better and better? Do you want to pursue Christ above all else Because you you believe and know that in his presence is fullness of joy and that nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus your Lord. Do you believe that? May God help us believe that. May God, by his grace, help us daily make that assessment. if you believe that if you desire Christ then like paul make a decision today as we start a new year by god's grace reorient your values if if they need reorientation reorienting cuz right i mean this is a this is an ongoing battle things get out of whack So maybe today God is calling you to reorient your value system. A biblical word for that is repent. To repent today. Say something like, Lord, I've not treasured Christ like I should. I I have valued the things of this world more than your precious son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. Oh, God, please forgive me for that. I've not pursued knowing him. But, but Father, I want to change. By your grace, I want to change. Lord, I need your grace. My remaining sin is daily drawing me to 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 the worthless things of this world. And even sinful things of this world. Please, help me. Please give me grace to treasure Christ and to pursue knowing Christ. Please help me every day to come to you for that grace that I need in order to treasure Christ again and pursue Him again and again. Thank you for your amazing love and for your faithful help. That's a prayer that many of us should... Should no doubt say today and so I want to take just a moment and give you an opportunity to spend some time with the Lord yourself and then I'll close with some prayer Father, we praise you for the precious gift of your Son Jesus Christ. As we've just celebrated at Christmas time, what an indescribable gift that you yourself would come and save us. That the eternal Son of God would live and suffer and die and rise again in the place of sinners like us. Thank you for your for sending him. Thank you for your grace and opening our eyes to this truth. I pray, Lord, for any here today who does not have Christ. May you today, by your Spirit, through your Word, powerfully shine the light of the glory of Jesus Christ into their hearts. May you show them the, the, the bankruptcy of their life on their own. May you show them their need for Christ, the beauty of Christ, Unite them to Christ, I pray. And for believers today, Father, please help us. Please help us to treasure Christ, to pursue him. He he alone is worthy, he is all satisfying, he is beautiful. And yet, in our own strength, we, we struggle and fail, we get distracted, we don't value him like we should. But we want to change. And we need your grace to change, Lord. May we be a people who can say along with Paul, nothing else compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Please work that in us, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, I'd like to just share one other thing with you. I'd like our theme this year as a church to be knowing Christ and making him known. It's not original with me. I think the Navigators have that as their mission statement or whatever. But let that be our focus as we enter into a new year. Let's let's let that be our focus this year. Knowing Christ and making Him known. And the second flows out of the first, doesn't it? Right? The more we're knowing Christ, the more we're enjoying Christ, the more we're fellowshipping with Christ, we're not going to be able to help ourselves but yet make Him known. We're we're going to be so enthralled with our Savior that we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. And may God be glorified through us as we enjoy Christ, as as he gives us opportunities to make Christ known. Let that be our theme this, this year. I'll try to keep that before our eyes today. Let's stand now and declare his praise.